Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Let us sing song for the dreaming of the world That we may dream as one With every voice, with every song We will move this world along The many wonderful folks doing diverse good work for the planet that I have here on Spirit in Action come to me in diverse ways. A couple years ago, I had for my guest my wife's yoga mentor, Scott Anderson, who does amazing healing work with his teaching and practice. So when Scott told me that I just had to interview the three founders of the Holistic Life Foundation, I knew that there was gold to be found in them their hills. I eventually got through to them, no small feat, considering the active and full schedule these three world transformers keep and they cheerfully agreed to work me into their bursting-at-the-seams schedule. The Holistic Life Foundation was founded in 2001 by brothers Ali and Atman Smith and their friend Andres Gonzalez, with, not a surprise, a holistic perspective to transforming lives. Centered in Baltimore, Maryland, they live and teach yoga, mindfulness, environmental stewardship, and much more from the place of center and spirit that they so passionately embraced without reserve in their last semester at college. Starting with fifth grade students and expanding to more and more branches of the at-risk and underserved elements of Baltimore society, the Holistic Life Foundation is an amazing testament to the spiritual power of yoga and mindfulness. Let's head over to Baltimore now to visit with Ali and Atman Smith and Andres Gonzalez, also known as Andy, the Holistic Life Foundation. Thanks to all three of you for joining me for Spirit in Action. Hey, how you doing? This is Andy. How are you doing? This is Atman Smith. Hello, how are you? This is Ali Smith. It's so good to have all three of you here. You folks don't sit still for a minute. You want to talk about your recent travels, pulling in information and resources for the Holistic Life Foundation? Okay, so in, uh, I guess our whirlwind tour, as we like to call it, it started in April. And we start off early April with a trip to the White House for a roundtable discussion on complementary medicine. We talked about our experience with yoga and mindfulness. From there, we went to Madison for a week to do a week-long residency at the Lincoln School. Uh, we worked with about 400 kids and about 30 staff every day for a week. We also got to hang out with Richie Davidson from the Center for Investigating Healthy Minds while we were out there. Made some good connections with the University of Wisconsin Cooperative Extension. From there, we went to Denver for the International Symposium on Contemplative Sciences. Got to hang out with Mark Greenberg, John Kabat-Zinn, our program officers from the 1440 Foundation, Ila and Dina Bondu, 
And Barry Boys from Mindful.org also. Barry Boys from Mindful Magazine, Congressman Tim Ryan. In May, we went to the Yoga Service Council Conference at the Omega Institute. In June, we went back to the Omega Institute for the most of the Mindful. The MBSR training with uh, John Cabazin and Saki Santarelli. And while we were up there, we actually got put on the schedule. We'll be doing a training on uh, yoga and mindfulness, teaching yoga and mindfulness to uh, urban communities, pretty much for teachers, parents, and uh, yoga instructors. We'll be up there next June, from June 23rd to June 28th, facilitating a training. We've actually been home for a little while. We had a fundraiser last Saturday night, June 16th. That went really well. Uh, We had a good turnout. Before that, on the 14th, we took all of our students on a trip to a local amusement park called Hershey Park and the parents, which was awesome. I guess the only other things we really have on the schedule, we'll be back up at the Omega Institute at the end of July for the Mindfulness and Education Conference. Again in August, we'll be taking our students on, a, I guess, a, a retreat center that's been donated to us by the Shambhala Society. You know, with all of this stuff that you folks have going on, it just blows my mind. And could you have imagined where you'd be today when you started the Holistic Life Foundation, when you started on the trail to that back when you were in college? Isaiah, yeah, I, I personally couldn't have. I'm pretty sure I could speak for the guys, too, as well. I don't, I don't think we had envisioned it getting to this capacity. I mean, we always hoped that we would be impacting a large population, but... I mean, again, we just wanted to help people. We really didn't expect to be going to places like the White House and to meet congressmen and, and guys like John Kabat-Zinn and Saki and, you know, just all the connections and all the impact. I mean, we took 50, over 50 people to an amusement park, you know, and to see the looks on the parents and kids' faces was just amazing. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to speak for them, but I believe they probably agree that I, I don't think that we imagined we would be at where we are right now at this moment in time. And definitely uh, Oppen Smith. When we first started, like a story that Andy always tells, like we really thought that we were the only people out here in the whole, you know, mindfulness, yoga, healthy movement. But Mark Greenberg from um, Penn State, he kind of hooked us up with people in the Garrison Institute and other networks of people who are doing mindfulness initiatives um, across the nation. So, like, I know we had no idea that these networks even existed when we first started. And now, you know, being a part of these national networks is a great thing and a great feeling to know that it's other people out here doing the same work that you are and, you know, trying to help the world out also. Well, why don't you tell us what the Holistic Life Foundation is, your programs, but get us kind of from the start. What did you start out as and what are you now? This is Ali. Started off as three friends in college partying. Ottman and I met Andy in college, pretty much out on the bar scene. We started talking and realized we had a lot of similar interests. From there, we started a, kind of like an informal book club where we would go read all these books on spirituality and religion and ancient history and philosophy and any and everything that kind of was interesting to us, astronomy, astrology. And we would sit and we would read and we'd talk about the books we were reading and we saw all these things that we felt could be improved upon. I mean, just we saw a lot of people suffering in the world. We saw the environment being kind of taken advantage of. And uh, we decided we wanted to do something about it. I remember one day we were sitting in, uh, I guess we were at Ottman's apartment, and Andy walked in the room, and he was like, we have all these hours. What are we going to do about it? Time passed, and we were still thinking about ways we could help. And uh, we saw Matthew Lesko on TV with his commercial with all the question marks on his lab coat. Like, the government paid for you to do this and do that. So we decided we were going to let the government pay for us to help the world make some positive changes. 
So we looked up a grant, and I know my degree was in environmental science, so we decided we are going to find a grant through EPA, and there was one for the ground-level ozone detection. So we decided we are going to apply for that. We printed the grant out, and we looked and saw you had to have a nonprofit organization to apply for a grant that we're just going to give three college, recent college graduates $100,000 to study ground-level ozone. So we moved back into the neighborhood that uh, Opera and I grew up in. We looked on Google on Google how to start a nonprofit organization, and we started the Holistic Life Foundation. I'm missing something. You're out doing the bar scene. You connect up, the three of you, and of course, two of your brothers, so you already know each other, and then Andy is added to the mix. You found out you had these common interests. Why didn't you just stay at the bar and talk about your interests? It evidently took you somewhere else. I guess that was one of those divine intervention things. Like The bar scene set the premise for us realizing that we had some of the same interest in spirituality, ancient history, just regular history, you know, a lot of different things. And, you know, it kind of let us know that, you know, the stuff that we were talking about, we could kind of like parlay that into us just, you know, sitting around together, reading some books and passing on knowledge to each other. So that's kind of where that kind of came from. Plus, we still haven't really left the bar. I mean, we still take our time to socialize. We keep it all in balance. We're not monks. Like, we live our lives. We spend a lot of our time doing service, but we also still have fun. So was there a shift in your life? Was it, here's what our focus is, we're partying, versus here's what our focus is, we're learning, we're going deep? Yeah, I think then, for sure, for all of us, I know that at least our individual practice was enhanced immensely in regards to just reading, practicing the yoga, meditating, and just the study in general. Those three things definitely enhanced after that area. We, we, we saw the effects that it was doing with us, and I think that we just wanted to continue to learn more. And I think that is the reason why we decided to begin to teach it to kids, because we saw what it was doing to us and how it was transforming us. The party scene, we can get together, have a few drinks, have a good time. But in the morning, we would still wake up, meditate, and do our yoga exercises. Instead of it just being, hey, we're just going to go out and party, we have a way to clean ourselves up afterwards. We could socialize, but then we can also get back deep into our practice. And those years following college and graduating were just years of immense practice all day long, you know, constantly meditating, constantly doing yoga. One of us always reading a different text that our teacher would give us. And we just, you know, anytime we found a new exercise or a new pose or a new practice or anything like that, we would always be quick to tell each other, hey, check this out. Hey, we got to try this. Let's learn this. So, I mean, I, I think it definitely, our lives transformed immensely following that time period of meeting each other and saying, hey, we want to make a change, we want to make a difference. And I think we understood that we couldn't just make a change by teaching, but the change had to be within ourselves, so that, that people who saw us and that we were introducing these concepts to saw the authenticity and saw the practice that we had. Because if you don't practice yourself, it's really, it's, you know, it's, you can read about doing something, but you really got to actually do it to really know it and gain that pure knowledge. And this is another thing is, is like, once you go inside of yourself, that that's kind of what led us to do the work that we're doing right now. When you go inside and see that beauty and that pureness that's inside of you, and then you come out to the physical realm or the mundane realm, and you see all this frictional energy going around or boarded up houses or open-air drug markets or this, you really have to do something or you will be not true to yourself. And honestly, that that's kind of what led us to do what we're doing is once we went inside and found that peace of mind and that that beauty inside, coming outside and seeing all the stuff that is not beautiful, we wanted to kind of change it. And, you know, I'm not saying that we're the ultimate people who can change anything, but we were going to do our part to try to change it. Now, 
Ali, you said you were environmental studies is what you were doing in college. I guess Atman and Andy are both at college. What were you studying? And what was the basis for this deep interest? Was there some ground support that led you to think that yoga and this introspection, meditation, that this was the place to go from? Well, me, Atman Smith, I was a criminology and criminal justice major. And in my juvenile justice classes, they were saying that one of the worst things or one of the things that made career criminals was recidivism is because they keep doing the same thing or keep being under the same conditions once they get let out. So, of course, they're going to break the law in the same type of manner and be caught up in the system. So, you know, our whole thinking, or at least my whole thinking behind why it kind of motivated me to try to use yoga as the platform to try to help people out is because it kind of is like an internal change, a self-discipline where, you know, you would be reprogramming your mind and, you know, figuring out what's right and what's wrong in the practice. And that would help people kind of not break the law anymore and be caught up in the whole recidivism thing that's going on in cities around the world, you know. So that's the reason why, you know, with my criminal justice background, I kind of thought that yoga would help to kind of get rid of that recidivism and to reprogram these people into not thinking the way they did and not being impulsive. And then this is Andy. My major is marketing, so I didn't have much to do. I guess it could have helped with our business. But I think in terms of what got us started was, I mean, besides my family has a strong spiritual base, and my mother always, you know, talked loving unconditionally and treating others with compassion. You know, that was just something that I was raised with. But I think it also uh, had to do a lot with, I'm sure Ali and I can speak more on it, is, I mean, the two of them were raised in a family that had yoga as a background, you know. So they saw their parents doing yoga and were eating vegan when they were little. So I'm sure that that had a part of us leaning more towards that area. Yeah, uh, this is Ali. I know I, before school, uh, our dad would have me and Ali meditate every morning. The church that we attended was kind of like a non-denominational church where, like, you would get a reading from the Bible or from the Bhagavad Gita or any other spiritual text, and you started with a meditation. Our parents would take us to, like, all these ashrams in, uh, like, in the D.C., Northern Virginia, Baltimore area when we were little. So, I mean, yoga was something that was kind of just always a part. Like, they planted seed really early, so it was something that was just kind of in our lives. I mean, we kind of got out of it after our parents got divorced. But I know as we met Andy and got back in and, and we're about to graduate from school, we, we really kind of got back into it and kind of delved really deeply into it. And I'm with Oppenheimer Andy. One of them said earlier how we were, like, during the time when we finished up school and moved back into the neighborhood we grew up on, on Smallwood Street, it was one of those things where we we literally spent most of our day practicing yoga. Like, we would get up at 4, we would do breathing, we do meditation, we do physical, we do kriyas, we do hatha, we do all types of stuff, and then... Spend our evening meditating, spend our time reading, and, and just kind of sharing it with each other. And it was just one of those things that deeply affected us. Could you talk about the neighborhood where you grew up and where the Holistic Life Foundation is now? Well, like when we were living here, it was still, this is Ottman. Our neighborhood really wasn't the best of neighborhoods. It was still crime, you know, drugs, and violence. But, you know, all the people who, all the older people who were, I guess, perpetuating that stuff. They had a sense of community also, and, you know, any time that it was, like, going to be something crazy going on outside, you know, they would really tell the kids to go in the house. If guys were out really late at night, they would make them go home. They would make people, you know, make sure they're going to school. So even though it was some negative things going on in our neighborhood, the older guys and, you know, some of the mothers who were living in the neighborhood also kind of made sure there was a sense of community. And... You know, when when crack came in in the 80s, it kind of killed that sense of community. That's why there are no, like, families in Baltimore City in our neighborhood because people got caught up in that crack epidemic, and, you know, people were either dead or locked up. 
So it's a lot of these kids kind of growing up, being brought up by their grandparents, and it was a lot of chaos, and that sense of community was gone. So when we graduated from University of Maryland College Park and moved back to the neighborhood, you know, it was really like the Wild West. Like, you know, you, if you looked at somebody, you had to be ready to fight them. So sometimes people would just, like, kind of, like, look on the ground because they wouldn't want to test anybody or see if, you know, somebody's going to, like, you know, it was it was very bad. It was really like the Wild West in Baltimore, in West Baltimore, at least in our neighborhood. You know, that, that was one of the main reasons why we wanted to affect our neighborhood because that sense of community was gone. And, you know, through our programs, how we're affecting all the youth in our neighborhood, the parents are starting to know who we are. And, you know, as they see us walking through the neighborhood, they'll ask us, like, I know this person asks Andy all the time, like, as he's smoking a cigarette, he's like, hey, man, um, will yoga and meditation help me stop smoking cigarettes? And, you know, some lady asks me that sees me every time I walk my dogs, she says, you know, what's the first step of meditation? I'm just kind of teaching her meditation as I see her on the street. And, like, when we first moved back into the neighborhood, there's no way those questions would have been asked, you know what I mean? And now those questions being asked, been, we built a community garden in an empty, vacant lot in our neighborhood. So it's a lot of things where you can actually see the transformation in our neighborhood from disenfranchised or just, you know, a lack of unity to actually a community again. You know, I know what we're doing the right thing with the work that we're doing. What was it like when you got started? I mean, you you were going to go for a grant about environmental stuff, but then you end up forming the Holistic Life Foundation. What were your first projects, and how did that go? Well, I mean, we got offered the, um, we were going to do that, that ground-level home zone thing, but then Ali and Ali's mother has a lot of connections in the school system, and she had an elementary school where they wanted us to teach 20 of their quote-unquote bad kids, their worst-behaved kids. They wanted us to teach them to be football coaches for them. And being that we had our practice, we asked the principal, you know, instead of us teaching them football, would it be all right if we could do some yoga with them? You know, maybe since they're, you know, the behavior's an issue, we can get them to calm down, concentrate, and focus more with some of these yoga practices. You know, it was a blessing that she was willing to give us that chance. So we started with that 20 group of kids, and I mean, we blew we blew everyone's minds away. Basically, all the all the teachers, all the parents, administration were just, you know, it's a common phrase we we hear more and more where people say, "We don't know what it is you're doing, but just keep doing it because you're making a change." And we made quite an impact with those 20 kids. They were all in the fifth grade at that time, and they were going to be in middle schools all throughout the city. We felt like we needed to make sure to keep that group together. We felt like we had created kind of like a bond and a family with them. So we told them that we would go and every day we would go and drive out to each of their middle schools and pick them all up and bring them to a central location. It was the YMCA uh, off Druid Hill. We did that for a few years until that first group of kids started getting a little older and started doing high school. And and then we just switched into the group of kids within our neighborhood. And that's when the neighborhood group of kids started. I mean, that first group of kids was fifth graders. Now they're all 20 to 21 years old. Our second group of kids we've known. At our fundraiser, one of them spoke. He said we knew him since the second grade, which is amazing to me. I didn't know that we had known him for that long. And he just graduated high school. And now our third group of kids is this group of kids we do in our local elementary school, and that's kids from pre-K to fifth grade. So as the years have passed, we just keep grabbing more and more kids. Now our after-school program hosts about 25 to 30 kids every day. You know, that strikes me as a kind of a hard sell, do you have a choice between football or yoga meditation? <laughs> did it take some convincing? How did you get them to that point? 
uh, I don't think we ever gave them the option of football because no, we didn't. Yeah, yeah. there was no like it was just one of those things that they knew there was going to be something going on after school. The teacher suggested, I mean, the principal suggested football just because, I mean, that's that's the norm for most uh, youth programs. And I think just we saw how much our yoga practice was affecting our just every level of us, physically, mentally, spiritually. Like we saw a change inside ourselves. We figured we could teach this to some other people. And we sure we were sure we weren't the only people that yoga would affect in that way. So when we were presented the opportunity with the kids, they all showed up. I mean, and we, I mean, it was rough when we started. I mean, kids walked into the room the first day. There were yoga mats all over the place, and they decided they were going to have WrestleMania in the middle of the classroom, and all started fighting and wrestling with each other. We broke up fights constantly at the beginning. There was a lot going on, but I think the kids really, really got into the practice. And like once they started feeling how they felt when they were meditating, when they were breathing, when they were practicing asanas, I mean, it was one of those things that they felt their own inner peace. They kind of rolled with it. They kind of got addicted to it, too. And So it wasn't really like they had a choice. It was one of those things that, I mean, actually, there was a baseball program at the school in the spring, and we would have the baseball coach coming and dragging kids out of the after-school yoga program and making them come to baseball practice even when they didn't want to because they wanted to stay in yoga. No, no, I want to do another asana. You can't make me go have fun outside. Yeah, and play some baseball. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. You know, you mentioned, Atman, you, have, you were going for the degree in criminology, and you were talking about how this could reprogram people's minds, criminals' minds, to put them on a different path. Have you actually been able to do that work? Have you been able to go in that kind of a setting? Or Yes, we have, actually. I mean, we haven't actually gone to the jails yet. Like, we have a program that we're trying to get off the ground for next year in the uh, juvenile jail system here in Baltimore City. But, you know, we, we have a gang outreach program where we're dealing with the youth in our neighborhood who are disenfranchised, and we're actually teaching them yoga. And one of the kids was actually trained to a point where he actually took part in our yoga study uh, with Hopkins and Penn State. We were teaching in the school system during resource time in the fifth and sixth graders. And this guy, you know, he was on the wrong path for a while. And, you know, he, his father passed away and his mom, you know, is having problems with drugs, you know what I mean? So he's definitely the prime person to break the law and, you know, get caught up in the system. But, you know, he has something inside of him that is making him choose a higher route, you know what I mean? I'm not saying all the time that he chooses a higher route, but he knows when he's doing something wrong and feels bad about it, and that's something that's lacking in a lot of these people who don't do the right thing all the time. But, you know, I see that he wants to do the right thing. It's just that, you know, the only support system that's coming here is us. So, you know, if, if people don't have the support system that most are, are given in life, it is hard to stay on the right path. But, you know, if they have support and have ways to kind of self-regulate themselves and, like, you know, we said, like, reprogram what is right and what is wrong in yoga, the yamas and niyamas, you know, if they understand that type of stuff, then, you know, I think we've done our job and, you know, they'll take it from inside of themselves and, you know, not do something instead of having to have positive influences around them all the time because nobody, especially in the hood, has positive influences around them all the time, you know what I mean? So sometimes they will have to look inside of themselves and, you know, be a leader or, you know, show some initiative as far as not following the crowd, you know, and that's what this yoga and, you know, the mindfulness teaches. It, it gets rid of impulsiveness and gets rid of those ruminating thoughts which could cause violence among different crews, you know, so I know that the yoga and the mindfulness is the right approach to dealing with the criminal justice problem. 
And how is it you're able to bring on these other programs? Like you say, you're aiming to do one next year. You said you had a fundraiser. Are there grants coming in? Is the community rising up to support you? How can you put this together? I mean, we donate a lot of our time to our programs. So, I mean, that helps things go. We have our oldest group of students, those kids we were talking about that we started with in the fifth grade. We're all 21, 22 years old now, and they help us out. Uh, we've got a, a generous grant from the 1440 Foundation to support some of our projects. Uh, we've got some other proposals in. Uh, we had the fundraiser, which was very successful for us. So, I mean, we, we're getting a lot more kind of personal support, I mean, from people we know, like from private donors. So, I mean, we're, we're slowly building our organizational infrastructure to kind of support the things that we're doing, that we're not donating our time all the time, and that we can really do these programs at the scale that we want to do them on. Because I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we could, like the, the program at the juvenile jail, uh, we could do now, but, I mean, it wouldn't be as potent as if we waited for a grant to actually facilitate the program as much as the kids are going to need it there because the kids are only there for about 60 days, so we need a really, really intense intervention where we can get in there about four or five days a week. We would also like someone to actually study the projects that we're doing so that we can have some concrete numbers that we can go to funders after that initial grant is over and say, hey, look, this isn't like we're not just giving you anecdotal evidence. we got a hard concrete numbers behind what we did there. Why don't you fund us to do this program in other places, to train people to do this program in other places so that we can really help these kids change their lives and not end up in an adult jail once they finish up at the juvenile jail. We're speaking with Ali Smith, Atman Smith, and Andres Gonzalez of the Holistic Life Foundation Incorporated, website hlfinc.org. And one of the gifts that they bring that we haven't mentioned yet is Andy's music. So let's share a piece of that now. Andy, Andres Gonzalez, performs his music under the name Cutthroat, and here is his song, Amazing. Trust me, bro, sir, I got a point, hold up. 
What happened to your dreams and your goals? Cause you're just watching TV on your sofa For a second, man, calle de la boca And listen to what I'm saying, man I told you anything is possible Nothing is impossible Don't ever give up on your dreams You unstoppable And if that goal ain't set, it's improbable That that goal be reached, that's just logical You can do anything you put your mind to And I don't know why, man, I gotta remind you That if you build it, they will come be patient I mean, yeah, we all so amazing Understand that understanding is wealth. I'm tired of working in stealth. Supposed to have the right to speak, so I write to beats. The sea brings storms. If you're sinking, bring the bells, kid. Weather the storm. Yeah, man, and get your sails set. Success, the only outcome. Ain't no failing. Wipe away the dirt, and you see the light prevailing. Even Mike got cut from the team. Just made him work harder, work longer. Now we king. Warner Woods stacking shelves with groceries. Before creating that great show on Turf B. Edison, Einstein, Malcolm, Martin Luther. As you for normal, but grew to be super. I know you're gonna make it, man. Keep chasing. We all the same. Yeah, we all so amazing. song is amazing. The artist is Andy, Andres Gonzalez, aka Cutthroat, and he's one of the guests here with me today for Spirit in Action. You're listening to Spirit in Action. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, your host for Spirit in Action, a Northern Spirit Radio production website, northernspiritradio.org, and we've got all of our archives on our website, seven years worth. We've got links to our guests, like the folks from the Holistic Life Foundation who are with us here today. You can follow those links, find out more about all of the wonderful people doing these good works in the world. You can also post comments, make donations, help out in many different ways. We're speaking with the three founders of the Holistic Life Foundation. Their website is HLF, as in Holistic Life Foundation, INC, like incorporated. So it's HLFINC.org. And we're speaking with Ali Shah Razul Smith. We're speaking with his brother, Atman Ananda Smith. And we're speaking with Andy, who's also known as Andres Gonzalez. You're quite a powerhouse, the three of you working together. Are you kind of an ashram, a spiritual community together? Is that how you work? Is that how you focus? Because it seems to me like you really have to have a center to work from because you're not in a what was naturally a hospitable situation. This wasn't like going to a yoga community. You're building it from the center and building it out. How do you do your community? I feel like we're a walking ashram. I mean, because, like, we always, when we go out and we're around each other, there's a certain vibe that we keep around each other. It's a vibe of, like, love and positive energy and service. 
loving everyone and everything and not just, you know what I mean, a physical mundane love, but a deep spiritual love and understanding that the same light that shines inside of the three of us shines in everyone and everything. So we have to love everything. Like you can't be angry or hate anything because you're hating and like not liking yourself. So, I mean, wherever we go, we make sure we keep our energy up and try to love the people around us. Like people, not to sound like a TV or anything, but like people like being around us because they feel our vibe and they feel our energy. We make people feel good and we have a good time. Like if you come to one of our yoga classes, I mean, you're going to laugh. You're going to have a good time. I mean, our teacher taught us that. I mean, if your students aren't laughing and not having a good time, you're doing something wrong. And we like to have fun. We also like to learn. We also like to teach. So, I mean, it's just we're all about spreading that good energy anywhere and everywhere we are, whether in our neighborhood, whether in some other neighborhood and in a really urban environment, whether we're up at the Omega Institute, whether we're out in Madison doing our programs, wherever we are, we're spreading that positive energy. And you're moving this throughout the schools there. Was that a hard sell? I mean, you mentioned there's a principal there who was amenable to you coming in. I think a lot of schools are... I guess maybe afraid to bring this kind of thing in because it's got religious overtones to it. Not really. We actually have taken like the religious terms, the Sanskrit terms out of our curriculum. So like if we're talking about karma, we talk about the golden rule. Or if we're talking about, you know, bhakti yoga, we'll just talk about respect or, you know, to look again and to respect all those because you see that commonality within us all. You know, so it's and yoga is not really a religion. It may be associated with Hinduism, but, you know, it's a spiritual practice, you know. So we don't even say spiritual. We make it more about stress relief and, you know, being more present and, you know, stuff like that. All the stuff that, you know, yoga does for people, but we just let them know that it's not, you know, connected to a religion. It may be associated with Hinduism, but it's not Hinduism. A lot of Hindus practice yoga, but it's yoga is not Hinduism. You know, I've heard some religious fundamentalists preach against yoga because it's insidious form of this Eastern religion. It takes you away from Christ, that kind of thing. Do you get that kind of pushback? Is there anybody locally who said, hey, hey we got to drive these demons out of our neighborhood? I've never noticed any negative feedback from, from anyone. I mean, and we can relate yoga to Christians that we work with. Like, we're, we're all about making our classes, like meeting the people that we're working with where they are, like, if you're a Christian, you can come into one of our classes and we'll relate it to things that are said in the Bible. You can relate yoga to anything. I mean, truth, like the church that me and Atman grew up in, there's a big sign on the wall that says, truth is one, men call it by various names. I mean, there's the same underlying truth in every single religious practice so that we could walk into a room with Muslims, with Jews, with Christians, with anyone. I mean, and, and we could make a yoga, we could have a yoga class specifically catered towards them and where they wouldn't feel uncomfortable because, I mean, yoga is about truth. I mean, like Atman said, it's not a religion. It, it, it's about truth. It's about deep inner truth and spiritual truth and understanding who you really are, which is a part of every religion. So, I mean, if we're in that situation, we can make it work. But, but like Atman said, in the school system, we take all of that out so that there's no crossover. Like our own personal practice looks a lot different than what we do when we're in the school system. I'd like to hear a little bit more about the religious, spiritual influences. You said, Ali and Atman, that your parents had a strong spiritual focus. You <laughs> Let's meditate before you go to school. Andy, evidently you didn't have that. What was the spiritual religious mix for each of you? This non-denominational church is part of it, I guess? Definitely. Uh, I mean, that was the basis right there, the whole being open to all truths, not just one truth. You know, that's what the whole Divine Life Church of Absolute Monism was really about, you know, just teaching love. Like, that that's the religion is love, you know what I mean? And 
anything else is <laughs> is not. And they all have great ways to lead people on the path. But like Ali said, truth is one. Men call it by various names. So whatever path you're on, we're all looking for the same truth. Yeah, and, I, and this is Andy. I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't go to the church that they went to, or have that same influence that they had in terms of or regards to their parents. But it's the same concept of love that Ivan just mentioned, where it was, you know, I was raised a Catholic. I went through all, I want to say, all the way through middle school, where I, you know, I did my first communion and all that type of stuff. And it wasn't until I got a little older that the one thing that my mother always stressed was that love, was that unconditional love, and. You know, I would hear people talking about her about that, like, she's just such a loving lady. She, you know, she didn't have to do that for me, you know, but she did it. And that was something I think that as I was raised, it was always around. I mean, there was a little spiritual background term of some Puerto Ricans uh, practiced Espiritismo, and some of my aunts were into that as well, which was a spiritual practice. But I think the main foundation was that love and just treating everyone the way that you wanted to be treated and seeing yourself inside them, that there's no difference, and, you know, in Puerto Rico, we all look different, you know. There's people that can look super, super dark-skinned and people who are really, really light-skinned with blonde hair and blue eyes. But for us, we're all Puerto Ricans, you know. There was always that oneness anyways. So I think it was just something that just was kind of just programmed into my head. Hey, that, hey, we're all one, and it doesn't matter what we look like. All I know is I'm supposed to show you love type stuff. So I think that's where a lot of my upbringing came from. One thing I happen to know about you, Ali and Atman, is that you went to the French School of Baltimore. Did you get some mixture of yoga or any kind of connection with that there? Because as a Quaker school, they're, of course, going to be open to that kind of thing. We definitely got exposed at Friends School. We had a time uh, where it was meeting for worship, where you would kind of just sit in silence and kind of just get into yourself. And if the spirit moved you, then you would stand up and say something and sit back down. So that was kind of like a you know, meditative practice right there in the school day, and we did that like once a week or something. And then them teaching that you have to be colorblind in this world, that's another lesson that we learned here, and that's why, you know, we try to spread love to everybody that we can because, you know, we're all the same when it gets down to it. Yeah, and I remember, uh, like, having assemblies at friend school where there would be, like, presenters from, like, all types of religious backgrounds. Like, I remember, like, just Christians, Muslims. I remember even at one point we had an assembly and the Hare Krishnas were there giving a presentation on, on what their religious practices were. So it was definitely a, a really open place where it was all about celebrating diversity in, in all ways, shapes, and forms. You know, we've only scratched the surface, I think, of the actual work you're doing at the Holistic Life Foundation. You started off with these programs with kids. You want to mention some of the other things that you're doing that we haven't touched on yet? Our programs have shifted to, like, beyond kids to every demographic. We do programs for seniors. We do programs for people at drug treatment centers. These are all the yoga and uh, mindfulness-based programs that we're doing. Drug treatment centers at mental crisis facilities for people with, like, uh, schizophrenia, depression, bipolar disorder. We do programs for at-risk moms that we've just started doing. We do a lot of teacher and parent workshops, schools. We've been doing trainings, like we train the entire Harrisburg Physical Education Department on ways to incorporate yoga into their school, into their PE classes. We do programs, like I've been saying, we're putting together the program at the juvenile jail. We're working on expanding and teaching in other parts of the country. Uh, we've got a couple studies in the works for that. Our whole goal is to bring yoga and mindfulness to all the communities that are underserved and couldn't get it. I mean, we, we've we had opportunities to teach it, like high-end wellness centers. And I mean, we if we wanted to, we, I'm sure we could easily have a yoga studio right now 
and be teaching there, but we would miss out on a lot of the people who really need these practices. So uh, we focus on the underserved communities because yoga classes aren't cheap. Yoga classes are expensive. So, I mean, most people can't afford them. So if we can take them to the communities that need them and give them to the people for free, then that's part of our, our calling. And because we have been doing this for so long and our results have been going so well, you know, we – our scope is going to have to increase. Like for the past, like maybe a year or two, we've had to turn down programs that were presented to us that they wanted us to do. But now we're in the process of doing a workforce development program where we're formally training our students who we started off with uh, who've been doing mindfulness and yoga in some fashion for the last nine or ten years and formally train them. That will increase our scope and be able to affect that many more communities. So that's another big thing that we're in the process of trying to get funding for. We're also trying to increase. Um, we have this residency program that we do as well. I don't know if they mentioned that, where it's a week-long residency. We did one in Wisconsin, in Madison, Wisconsin, elementary school, where we taught um, over 400 kids and all of their staff. So by the time we ended up leaving that elementary school, the kids were leading the yoga classes. And we've even heard from the principal that said that weeks later, a month later after we've left, the kids are still leading those classes. Lastly thing, Ali's always very good at uh, listing all these off. We do a lot of environmental work as well. All right, so environmental work. We do tree plantings. We do community cleanups. We do recycling programs. Uh, we do worm composting programs, organic raised bed gardening. We do a lot of advocacy work. We've had a couple of our students present in front of the city council for the city's sustainability plan. We do field trips. We do to nature centers. We do hiking at local parks. Uh, we do camping trips. And I want to say that's pretty much the uh, only thing I could add to that is remove any vases, too. We do that sometimes. It, yeah. It's basically what we try to do is, you know, the whole concept of Holistic Life Foundation is to show the interconnectedness to ourselves and to the environment and the planet. And these kids, you know, they walk around all day, and they don't really get to see a lot of green. You know, the only green they see is a few trees in front of their houses. But that's it. So we try to show them that there's more than just this neighborhood and this little part of where they live and that there is a whole big world out there and that they need to take care of, that the gutters aren't trash cans. And just show them and introduce them to new experiences. I remember when we took uh, our first group of kids camping, and it's nighttime and they could hear the insects, and the kids are freaking out, you know. They're like, they're extremely scared. And I'm looking at them like, guys, you, know, you hear gunshots and helicopters and sirens all day long, and that doesn't scare you, but it's just little bugs out there. But, again, you just... You know, they never experienced anything like that. They had no idea what it was like to go camping and to sit outside and to feel that environment and experience that nature. That's amazing. That's amazing. Oh, by the way, environmentally, have you done anything with ozone, huh? Yeah. I mean, we're always trying to get kids to, like, you know what I mean, decrease the carbon footprint in any way, shape, or form. I mean, getting kids to walk better, like getting kids to eat a more, like, vegetarian-conscious diet so that they're less, making less of an impact. Like, we're constantly doing a lot of educational work to get kids to change their actions and change the way they think about the environment. Like Andy was saying, they live in concrete environments, but they're connected to the entire planet. And a lot of kids we work with don't have that connection. And once they understand that their actions affect the entire globe and that the, like, the effects that the things that other people do to the environment affect, environment affect them, then they're a lot more conscious of the decisions they're making concerning Mother Earth. I mean, like, if you come to Baltimore, there's a lot of environmental justice issues. Like, we go to a lot of public schools in Baltimore City, and we can ask, the, like, because there's breathing exercises for asthma, we can ask the kids, like, all right, how many of y'all have asthma? And there's some schools we go to where, like, 80% of the kids will put their hands up. 
I mean, and, and it's not they're not cutting down any trees, but just their their actions and the the actions of the people around them are affecting their health and the health of the planet. I mean, and, it, and it's just the opposite. When we went to Madison, where the environment is a lot cleaner than in Baltimore, we asked that same question, and it was like we were in a classroom with about 90 kids in it, and we asked them, how many of you all have asthma? And then preps to teach them this breathing exercise, and maybe two or three kids put their hand up, and that, and that like, we were shocked. We looked at each other like, I can't even believe this is this way. But, I mean, walking around the city, you understand why, but it's just one of those things that the kids get connected to it and, and we're connected to the something bigger than just their neighborhood. They change all their actions, and then, yeah, they're definitely doing something about the ozone problem and every other, the waste problems, the wasting of resources, like a lot of those environmental problems, they understand why they have to take action, combat those things, and change those things in their lives. I think of this program in Baltimore as being inner city, whatever that means. I've never lived in an inner city. I've lived in Africa because I was in the Peace Corps. I certainly know diversity in the world. What's the racial mix where you live and in your programs? Has it branched out to incorporate everyone, or is it still really centered in the neighborhood you grew up in? Well, I mean, Baltimore is really like, they call it like a chocolate city. It's like the majority of the residents here are black, you know, and especially the ones in the city. Uh, some of them live on the, uh, some other uh, people, like some, like, you know, Caucasian people or, you know, other races may live in, like, different pockets in Baltimore, like Charles Street or Charles Village or, you know, a couple other neighborhoods. But the majority of the places that need help are the underserved communities and the residents there are African-American, you know. But we do have, you know, a couple of um, Caucasian kids in our program, and we've done programs in poor white neighborhoods such as Hamden. So, you know, I mean, but it's just Baltimore is really like a chocolate city. And again, we're trying to reach those populations that are the most underserved, and they just happen to be that the majority of the people in the underserved areas are African-American. Yeah, like when we went to uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and we did our program out there, the Artists and Residency Program, we were dealing with the same demographics, but they look different just because, you know, the geographical location of Madison, Wisconsin, you know what I mean? We stick with the same underserved communities no matter what they look like. Yeah, I mean, we've done programs in other communities, like the more affluent neighborhoods. Like, we've done programs at Friends School and places like that. I mean, and those kids have a whole other set of issues that they're dealing with. Like, they're dealing with stress and they're dealing with anxiety and they're dealing with depression, but in, from other things. But it's just that a lot of them have the resources to go to a yoga studio or to go to a therapist or go, or go somewhere to get some help. And like Ivan and Andy were saying, like, in a lot of the communities we work with, the parents don't have the resources. The parents may not be around. And uh, the kids are just kind of stuck there dealing with trauma and dealing with a lot of suffering. So I figure we're trying to help them out and do what we can to, to make a difference. Maybe you can give me a little piece of advice. There's been discussion in Quaker communities for a long time. A large majority of Quakers in the U.S. happen to have pale skins, right? Even though there's more dark-skinned Quakers in the world than there are light-skinned. One of the things when we were talking about reaching out, someone said to me, well, you know, it's like when you go to a Quaker potluck, it's typically vegetarian or it's almost all vegetarian, and that's just not going to appeal to every culture around the way. And I know that when my folks came to my wedding at a Quaker meeting, they weren't very pleased that we didn't have drinking and smoking there. And I'm white, but, you know, the Catholic background that I came from, that was pretty normal to smoke, drink as part of your party. So as vegetarians yourself, does this get any kind of pushback? It's like, where are the ribs or where's the chicken or, you know, whatever that so many people in mainstream America, that they're expecting to be part of the culture that you're bringing them to. 
All we try to do really is try to expose them to substitutes for some of the meals. Like, you know, like a lot of people in Baltimore City eat chicken boxes. There's a place in Baltimore that makes vegan soul food. So for our fundraiser, we got like a whole bunch of vegan chicken wings. You know, we, we just try to expose You know, people, it's usually because people are ignorant to the fact that these foods are good and they're healthy for you. It's not that they don't want to eat them. They just don't know. You know, they're just used to eating or used to drinking or used to doing the same things. It's that whole reprogramming thing and teaching people the benefits of something. If something makes sense, then they'll adapt to their lifestyle. You know, especially if it kind of tastes good, you know. Yeah, and it it was amazing at the fundraiser. I have a buddy who's Puerto Rican as well, and he came and he is not a vegetarian in any way, shape, or form. And we, you know, we we provided chicken quesadillas as well. Now we 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 understand that there are people who aren't going to be vegetarian, so we provided that food as well. But my buddy that came up to me he had never had a vegan chicken wing, and he was blown away. He's looking at me like it was the best thing that he has ever tasted in his entire life. And he just kept he, ten minutes straight just talking. I can't believe it. This is not meat in this. And I'm like, yeah, you see that, buddy? You know. So again, it's sometimes like I'm just introducing them to something new, you know. We give them the option to eat what they regularly eat as well, but just, hey, try this out. It's going to taste pretty good. It's just about how you flavor it kind of. So we just try to introduce some new stuff and hopefully lead by example and, and they'll learn that, hey, maybe I should try this a little. Yeah, and there's a huge problem with food deserts in Baltimore City where a lot of people live in neighborhoods where they don't have healthy options. Like they, all the food that they can have access to is unhealthy for them. And it's a huge problem in Baltimore. It's a huge problem in a lot of areas. We know that's where we live, so we know it's a problem there. So, I mean, just like they were saying, just exposure to other options, like making resources available for them to eat a healthy meal instead of having to go to something that's just cheap and affordable and just easy to get access to. I mean, our students, actually everybody we work with, they would expose these things to, like they... Like it, it helps to they know that there are options out there, and when they do go look for a meal, they actually make an effort to actually look for something that's going to be a little more healthy and a little more just better for the planet too. You know, I'm just blown away by the work that you three are doing, that the Holistic Life Foundation is doing, from the little seeds that were planted in your lives, and then you know finding this center of I guess your your walking ashram. It's just so amazing what you're doing for Baltimore and for the world as a whole. I want to thank you, Ali, Atman, Andy, for being a shining beam of light for us, you know, starting from the healing inside and taking that into the world, in the prisons, in the schools, for the mentally ill, all of the people that you're working with. It's just such a beautiful vision, and you're, you're transforming our cities in exactly the way we need to do it. Thanks so much for joining me for Spirit in Action. Thanks Thank you, too. Thank you for the invite. Thank you so much. We've been speaking with brothers Ali and Atman Smith and their friend and walking ashram mate, Andy Gonzalez. Collectively, the Holistic Life Foundation, Incorporated, on the web at hlfinc.org or follow the link from northernspiritradio.org. As I said earlier, Andy is also a musician and he makes music very much in tune with the transformational workforce these three are doing together. We'll finish today's Spirit in Action with one more song by Andy Gonzalez, a.k.a. Cutthroat. The song is 105. We'll let Andy take you out, and we'll meet you next week for Spirit in Action. Thank you.
How is taught true friends are hard to come by Gave me fair warnings, morning salute to sunrise My head down, barely see me with my bun tied Motionless, know we alive cause his lungs rise Your words are bomb but all I hear is dumb lies Your ignorance is dense at times, you got me tongue tied So many say they gon' be there and they run hard Others stab you in your back Reason we don't confide You off tune That's why they say that you ain't strung right Some people kill your dreams to you I hope I'm wrong life The only hate you have is towards yourself I mean we won't ride But still there's curses Feeling hearses Cause of the gunfights My light always lit Even in the sunshine You got nothing to say So your rhymes is filled with punchlines Some people excel when the pressure's on Crunch time Others get overwhelmed Wishing that they was blind Love is all Almighty, everything's within you. Everyone's a champion, but act like they contenders. Me, me, I'm just you. I wish that you remembered. Guess that's what I'm here for. Bring us back to center. Love is almighty. Everything's within you. Everyone's a champion, but act like they contenders. Me, me, I'm just you. I wish that you remembered. I guess that's what I'm here for. Bring us back to center. How'd it come to this? Where is it we got lost? Standard of living better, but tell me, yeah, what cost? And is it really better just cause we got jobs? The American dream? I feel we got robbed. My young gun covers his waffles and hot sauce. We should teach cream of wheat, not sugary pop tarts. Everyone's bitching cause they don't know they top dog. Acting like the audience when you is the rock star. You go around in circles like you're driving a stock car. The reason that I'm here is so you finally can stop park. Be patient, listen to the doctor. Love is almighty, got it all, but you want more. Dawn pours in your glass, crash when you haunt corns. You make a is your mask stay choosing the wrong door can't control your liquor me and my flask is in concord master these raps i end the track with a long pause love is almighty everything's within you everyone's a champion but act like they contenders me I'm just you, I wish that you remembered Guess that's what I'm here for Bring us back to center Love is almighty, everything's within you Everyone's a champion But act like they contenders Me, me, I'm just you, I wish that you remembered I guess that's what I'm here for Bring us back to center The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice.